yes, motivation was important, but we also need to look at a direction. We need to look at team potential. We need to look at how we learn to learn and navigate infection moments. And so I'd almost kind of come in with a bit of a Trojan horse by, you know, I didn't, not by design, but just by, by, by discovery. And I think it was a discovery process to learn that actually there's a lot more to this. And this question of how do we future-proof success? How do we future-proof where we want to go? Next was such an eternal question among all the leaders I was talking to. Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Oligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Today, it's an absolute pleasure to welcome back onto the show, Sharath Jeevan. Today, we're going to be talking about his upcoming book, Inflection, due out in January 2024. And we're going to kick off by finding out what navigating inflection is all about. So stay tuned for that. And without further ado, Sharath, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Uh, thanks so much, Abdullah. It's been what, a couple of years, right? I think since we since we talked on here. Exactly, a couple of years indeed, and uh, fascinating conversation, as I remember last time you we were here. So I'm looking forward to yet another excellent chat with you today. A little bit different topic. You're the author of Inflection. It's an upcoming book due to be published and released in 2024, January. And it's great to have you here a little bit ahead of that. So you can give us perhaps a little bit of a glimpse of what's in store. So you're the executive chairman of Intrinsic Labs and you're an expert in sort of navigating inflection. Um, what that actually means, perhaps that's a good starting point for today's conversation. What's what's inflection all about? Yeah, sounds great, Alberto. And first of all, just this is the first podcast for the for, for inflection. So just a real honor to do that. I'm such a big fan of the podcast and, and you. So yeah, I, th I think if I had to really explain the idea of inflection, you know, very simply, it's this idea that, you know, every now and then as leaders, if we're leaders of a, a nonprofit organization, a foundation, you know, whatever it might be, we have to keep asking ourselves, what's the next mountain to climb? You know, often we're successful, we're busy. But there's always that risk of sort of hitting a plateau and I think not really achieving the full potential of our impact, um, especially if you work in, in such an important sector, right, where the, the problems we're dealing with are so infinite, so in, you know, so intractable. That question is one we need to kind of ask. So that question of what's the next mountain to climb is, is the first question I help leadership teams, CEOs really grapple with boards as well, of course. The second question that comes alongside that is, what's the team we need to be to climb that new mountain? So how do we set ourselves up um, with our existing team? How do we bring new capabilities and, and talents in to achieve that new that new mountain? And the third question is really how do we create a, how do we stay motivated and resilient as, as we journey towards that that new mountain as well? Good stuff, good stuff. Now, I know you're an expert in intrinsic motivation. That's when we first met and... Uh, in actual fact, you're the founder and, and, and we're the chief executive officer of Stir Education, very big on, again, the intrinsic motivation side of uh, teaching systems and teaching workforce. When you're looking at inflection and inflection points and hitting your plateau, what's the next mountain to climb, staying resilient, what are the key drivers there? And, and perhaps what are the key impediments as well that need to be addressed, identified, overcome? Yeah, so I think the first thing about it is that, you know, um, this, this, the, I think if I had to boil down the, the, the fundamental insight of inflection, it's that not all leadership time is created equal. 
that we have these moments where, you know, if we, if we really can, first of all, sort of recognize them for what they are, recognize it is an inflection moment to begin with. It's not always obvious. So, you know, is there a is there an asteroid out there that's kind of about to hit us? Um, what's changing in our internal starship? We might want to think about it. Might be around you know a leadership team changing, a board shift, um, all of those questions. So first, recognizing that moment for what it is, and realizing that these moments are going to be tense. They're going to be dramatic, um, but they're also if we can really harness them well, can really help us future proof success for years, maybe decades to come. So that's that's the first part is to recognize them. I think what makes inflection moments so hard to navigate is that we have to reconcile different time frames. We've got to take a long-term view. I, I talk in the book about that being like the hour hand of a watch or a clock where what's that long-term direction we're trying to really take here? And how do we try to really um, shape that long-term direction around our unique perspective of the problem? Let's say, for example, we're working in, in health. I've been working with a, um, a, a, a company that works on Alzheimer's and Parkinson's diagnosis, for example. They have a very unique perspective on how they can make diagnosis much more accessible, much happen much earlier in the system and in the life cycle of a patient. So how do you harness that perspective to take a, a direction that really feels authentic and unique for, for you as an organization first? Let me just take a stop there. That's kind of first to recognize it and then look at that long-term yeah. direction lens first. Are these... Um... And maybe by the name they are, maybe that's the answer. But are these inflection points necessarily fixed, discrete points in time? Or are we looking at some sort of continuum? Do things gradually come in, gradually fade out? Um, you touched on the sort of like time frames. Is it always a sort of inflection point, very discrete, very boom, here it is? Yeah, so I think what tends to happen is there are kind of ripples and that, that sort of leads to a bigger kind of a wave overall. And I would say, you know, I, I think of like organizational life now almost like a book with a series of chapters, right? You have different organizational chapters. Um, some leaders I work with like this phrasing of 1.0 or 2.0 or 3.0. That's a lot of um, tech VC sort of background in that stuff as well. But essentially this idea that we we have to divide an organization into those different chapters each chapter has a, a different insight, a different perspective, a different set of drivers around that chapter. And each one of them has a slightly different view of direction where we want to go. But over the course of an organization, we're going to write a great novel over the series of those chapters, if that, if that resonates. So yeah, I think there are sort of, I'd say three to five year periods typically would be good sort of timeframes for recognizing an inflection moment, really helping an organization achieve it, climb that mountain. And then around the towards the end of that period, as we're getting there, as we're reaching those goals, you know, adjusting, refining as we go, it's important to think about what the next inflection moment is beyond that. So I'd say in fast growing organizations, maybe yeah, two to three years is a good time frame. If it's a little bit more stable, mature, somewhere between three and five years is a good sort of life cycle of how these moments happen. I was going to ask you about that. Are these inflection points reoccurring or, or, or cyclical? You know, like we have an economics, right? Do you expect there always to be a certain phase in between different inflection points and for there to be a series of inflection points within this sort of novel uh, as you sort of characterize the journey? And then, and then if so, is there roughly speaking a sort of defined time period between inflection points? Yeah, so I think it takes so 
I'd say recognizing an inflection moment and really trying to um, figure out the long-term direction, figure out um, the, lo- the the other parts of the, the sort of dial framework I share in the book. So how do we set, build the right teams, that idea of potential, which I think of a, a bit like the minute hand of a, of a watch. How do we stay motivated and resilient uh, day by day, the second hand? And how do we create that overall learning dial that enables us to keep learning and iterating the approach? Um, I'd say that whole process takes about usually six to nine months to embed in well in an organization. So once you do that, you actually want to see it through, of course. So normally you'd, you'd, uh, a leader might be defining a sort of three-year pathway around that infection, what it looks like, what it will mean to fully achieve that new piece. And, and then, yeah, as they get towards achieving it, they, want, they, they should be thinking of what's the next mountain. So think of it like a, you, you, never reach, you never reach Everest, right? You're obviously always climbing higher and higher mountains. And let me just give a real, ex- like a, a, a very common example in the social sector. Let's imagine that you're, um, you're an organization working on, let's take education as an example. Mm-hmm. Just, so let's say in the first uh, inflection moment, it's all about directly serving a community. Okay, you really want to try to make sure that your intervention, let's say it's, uh, I don't know, numeracy, is all about helping you know, very, very discreet communities tangibly improve their numeracy skills through maybe some direct work with young people or maybe some teacher training. That could be the first inflection point. But then you realize that actually you're, you're achieving that, there's good, there's even good impact, you're getting a good sense of where it's going there's a sense of actually there are other people out there in the ecosystem who could take your innovation and help bring more scale to it. And maybe those are other, other nonprofit organizations, for example. So if I think of Stir's inflection point, for example, 2.0 was all about partnering with other organizations um, who, who could, could embed this innovation into their work and make it part of their work so the work became more widely spread. Um, 3.0, if I take the, the Stir example, which I, I'd helped to found, was around saying, well, look, the, the government, we're, we're doing well. There's a lot of great NGO feedback. We're seeing this. But ultimately, the, the main player in education, public education, is the government. Um, they're reaching most kids. How can we embed our approach into the fabric of the government system? So if you like that, that was 3.0. So I'm just using that as a very like, a broad example. Everyone will have different um, parameters. But the idea that if we're really serious about trying to have the, the, the biggest impact we can possibly have and the deepest impact, We've got to be asking ourselves, you know, constantly, what is that next mountain to climb? I think if we don't, we can end up being a little bit complacent, but I think more importantly, not achieving what we could achieve. And that that doesn't help our team um, stay motivated, resilient, and yeah, doesn't does the full justice to our amazing work. Now, the way you're describing this, it makes you think that all of these inflection moments and uh, figuring out what's that next mountain to climb, that they seem to be visible in the horizon and that they seem to be things that one is in control of. And is that always the case? I mean, can an inflection moment happen to you, not proactively be embraced, but it happens to you? Can an inflection moment be dis- discerned only in the rear view mirror or could you always see it coming in the horizon? Yeah, it's a great question. I think some some colleagues at Sequoia Capital, Alberta, who are and one of the leading VC firms in the world, often talk about this idea of crucible moments. And those moments are when something hits you from outside. That's the asteroid I described, right? So what's a good example? Um, let's say uh, Skype, for example, has uh, Skype comes in and then you're a telephone company and suddenly you've got a disruptor who's going to, who can basically make, you know, what you use the charge for become free. That's a very common, you know, dynamic in the tech world. 
that so that can have sometimes happen out of nowhere, right? That's one possibility. That could be the rear movement. And then a lot of it is how do you respond as a leadership team to that sudden crisis? How do you move quickly? How do you redefine yourself? Uh, all of those things as well. And, and history is littered with examples of when leaders didn't do that, right? So look at Blockbuster and Netflix was the classic one. There were many times when it was clear that Netflix was going to come in, was ascending very fast, but leadership didn't really act decisively enough. I think in the social sector, what's more common is the chance you do have some runway, you do have some time to think. A lot of this is not coming from a negative place of you're going to be extinct tomorrow. Usually the organization I work with are not in that space. It's more where they're doing fine, they're achieving their mission, they've set out what they you know, wanted to set out a few years ago, but there's more potential to be realized. And that actually makes it more emotional because A, you know, we're dealing with these kind of ideas of wicked problems where there's no right answer what that new mountain needs to look like. It's not always obvious. There are usually a number of different parts. What tends to happen a lot, though, is um, organizations, especially on the implementation side of the, of the sector, they tend to think, okay, let me then link this with funding and try and look at the next mountain in terms of what do funders want. What's going to get me the money to get from 5 million to 10 million or 20 million to 50 million in my annual budget, for example? And I can assure you, having worked with um, so many leaders and organizations, that is a disastrous way of trying to think about it because you're not driving and building that direction based on your own intrinsic motivation as a team, nor are you building it on your really unique understanding of the problem and, and what, what really makes that tick. The approach here, is it one that's most relevant to the social impact space or is this something that uh, applies across the board irrespective of whether you're a for-profit uh, entity or, or a non-profit uh, organization it, it, does it apply equally to both and then also who determines and who leads this piece because normally you have strategic cycles strategic planning sessions right you have the senior leadership of an organization saying look this is what last financial year looked like. This is what we're looking for the next one. Uh, this is where our three-year strategy looks like. Yeah, two great questions about this. So what's been such a joy of running Intrinsic Labs, I've, I've run about 60 or so now assignments with every kind of organization from a, a L'Oreal or a Skyscanner in the corporate world, cultural organization like the Barbican, um, um, and of course, lots of organizations and social sector groups like Teach for All, Ashoka, um, a lot of um, usual and unusual suspects and some amazing innovators who are really shifting the game as well. So I think it's a very common theme across all the sectors uh, I've worked in. What makes the social sector unique, though, is the, I think, two things. One is the enormity of the problem at hand. And in comparison, the relative um, paucity of resources to address that problem, right? We're usually super underfunded relative to the scale of the problem in front of us which means that the inflection moment, the kind of next mountain question is even more important because you can't just mechanically scale. We don't have capital markets that, or funding markets that just give us billions of dollars typically, right? So we've got to be much more creative around what that next mountain is. And the question is almost always, how can we do with, with more, much more? With yes, more resources, but not nowhere near the same ratio of increased resources. How do we increase our are leverage at the core. Um, your question on the, the strategy cycle, yes, most organizations have a, a pretty, pretty standard sort of three, four, five-year cycle. What tends to happen from, from what I've seen is that those cycles are quite 
they can be a little bit mechanical. And the strategies end up, at least the version ones, tend to be, let's just do more of the same. Let's do what I call a multiplier approach. Let's go from 1x of the same strategy to 2x or 3x. And so what I try and do with, with teams is often they developed a strategy or a first cut is we looked and work with them through workshops, facilitation, coaching, et cetera. What are some of the tensions in that strategy? Where are things, what are some of the elephants in the room that need to be addressed? What can be done bigger and better? What's really driving you as a leader? Where would you really want to go if there weren't constraints? And that that process really tends to unlock a, a, a new way of doing, a new way of seeing that next mountain that is different from what that initial, maybe more mechanical strategy envisaged. When you're talking about um, helping that leader envision these things, visualize, conceptualize, is it always the leadership with whom you're engaging? And I'm asking just because oftentimes the visibility in the front lines from those who are the rank and file of an organization, some of that creating thinking percolates upwards. Absolutely. So it's so important to have a range of stakeholders. So typically I would, I would see my core client, usually as the CEO and leadership team, with the board very, very strongly supporting this process. But that proximate impact is so important in that sense that the leadership team itself is there to help those on the front line. That's the whole purpose of being a leader, if you like. So it's all got to anchor back to what I call in the book, the idea of small key purpose. How do we help and serve others each day and every day? How do we squeeze every bit of small key purpose out of this process? That's excellent. And let me expand that a little bit further. So one of the experiences I remember having with, with the senior management team of, of foundation I was, uh, I was running, I was involved with was, yes, we're going to be do doing the strategic thinking as, as leaders. Uh, yes, we're going to be engaging with all our staff, irrespective of seniority, irrespective of function. And, but we found some amazingly creative insight coming in from, from those who were in our periphery possibly clients, possibly uh, stakeholders in different ways. And so let me ask you about that. Can, can, is there scope for, for those voices to be part of this conversation? Yeah, I think, I think the more voices, the, in some ways, the better. I'll bet on the wider the voices in particular, the better as well. So, you know, really encouraging the best processes ever on the best, what I call the guided journeys. We've involved really different partners and sometimes having an external facility like myself to channel that feedback honestly. Sometimes people are a bit worried about what, what if I'm honest, what will the CEO think, for example? Let's say I'm a supplier, for example, who's got a particular um, point of view, but which may upset the team. I think part of it is also having that independence and being able to channel that feedback constructively, but really honestly through the process. But I think those voices are really, really important. What I find nowadays is a lot of leadership teams, because we've got a lot better on data in general in the sector, um, better on strategy as well. Often CEOs, leadership teams are pretty awash with data. They've got lots of insights in a way. It, in a way, it's how to make those insights actionable and how to link it to what um, what really drives them. So I talk in the book about how a lot of strategy nowadays is outside in what does the landscape or fund, you know, problem say, what do we need to, to respond to it? That, that's important. But also, what's the inside-out version? So what, what really drives me as a leader? Where do I think we have a unique perspective on this particular problem, whether it's health or education or whatever? Um, how can I bring a unique and fresh perspective on that problem. And I think the best direction is when it, when inside out and outside in come together, if you like, that tends to create the most creativity. That's why, as you said, having a really diverse range of voices can be really game changing there. Now, navigating inflection, uh, how did that come about? So when you and I first met a few years back, 
if I thought of your name, I thought about intrinsic motivation. Give us a little bit of insight into that journey from being really involved with intrinsic motivation and STIR education at the time and your thinking and how your knowledge developed and, uh, and how you matured and how you landed here with inflection being a, a focal point. Thanks about it. So yeah, so I've been on my own inflection uh, journey myself over these past years. So you know, when we put a couple of years ago, I went out with uh, my book Intrinsic and was getting quite a bit of traction. I managed to work with some amazing organizations around the ideas in the book. And that those those questions were all linked to what I now call the the second hand of the watch, right? How do we stay motivated and resilient? That was really important. But what I found by actually entering and talking to lots of CEOs and leadership teams and working with them deeply, yes, motivation was important, but we also need to look at a direction. We need to look at team potential. We need to look at how we learn to learn and navigate infection moments. And so I'd almost kind of come in with a bit of a Trojan horse by, you know, I didn't, not by design, but just by, by, by discovery. And I think it was a discovery process to learn that actually there's a lot more to this. And this question of how do we future-proof success? How do we future-proof where we want to go? Next was such an eternal question among all the leaders I was talking to. Many were feeling very stressed. There was a lot of burnout because they they weren't able to answer that question and and really bring their their boards, their donors, investors, teams along. I felt that was a really important contribution to make uh, around it. I think we've often thought about leadership in terms of a, a set of daily practices, which of course are important, but this outsized importance of these inflection moments, I felt hadn't been really thought about deeply enough. That's why I wanted to devote my... Uh, this next chapter of my working life towards. So it's interesting you're saying this next chapter of my working life, this is where I'm dedicating it to. If we grab onto the the whole notion of inflection and identifying the next mountain to climb, where where to next for, for Sharath? You, you've done the intrinsic motivation and stir education and intrinsic. Uh, now you're about to launch uh, and publish uh, Inflection in January. Where to after that? Have you been thinking about that? I have. A, I think I should walk my own talk in terms of thinking a few mountains ahead, as you can probably guess, right? So I think what's happened, one of the things that has really struck me um, in doing my work with leaders and leadership teams is that there's such a generational challenge right now. So I think one of the, the ideas in the book is, is that there are three types of inflection moment. There are personal ones, you know, in terms of our own career, our own lives. There's, there are organizational ones and there's societal ones. And so far, my work has been looking mostly at the organizational level, uh, because organizations tend to bring me in, but also obviously very deep looking at the leadership inflection points at the personal level for the, the CEO leadership team, of course, as well. What I've realized, though, and what I want to devote my the next part of my writing career towards is these societal questions, because I do think we're at a inflection moment in terms of climate change and equality. The world just can't um, go on the way that it, it has been, right? And these last few months have been pretty depressing to watch. And so I think I'm trying to look at how can we harness this idea of inflection moments to look at society's bigger problems. And to me, the one that seems to have been given the least amount of attention to is the generational one. Uh, so I'm playing with a new book idea around the idea of what is this clash of generations and how can leaders, how can CEOs, those at the helm now, manage the clash of generations, those coming into the workforce or establishing leadership in the workforce with those above them who may be on boards, what, what, what's the what's how does that inflection moment be navigated? How can we bring all the sides of this generational conflict together to build that better world? Big topic, big topic, especially 
well, not especially, but certainly within philanthropy as well and that transfer of wealth uh, and how different generations view philanthropy and social impact and their approach to it and, and the innovation that they embrace in order to achieve it, right? You know, I've been working with um, Ashoka and the Harvard Kennedy School, a really interesting program in Eastern Europe, actually. That's a really interesting place because a lot of new wealth has been generated in countries like Poland and so on, where, um, and that's all cross-generational. So it's a new generation taking over with the reins of that. And just helping them think about that, who has power now, who's about to have power and resources, how do we shift that mindset shift alongside that? So, yeah, the core idea of this new book is that, that is also is around this idea of being a rebel with a cause. How what does it mean to really push out, think differently, but do that, you know, with some sensitivity as well? Wonderful. How did you get into all of this? And uh, I, you you gave us a little bit of insight into that last last time you were here uh, two years ago, but refresh our memories. How did you get into all of this? Yeah, so I'm the son of, an, of Indian immigrants to the UK. My parents uh, were not doctors uh, in this country, Alberta. And um, I think there was a strong sort of really rational desire to sort of succeed on conventional yardsticks. Um, so I went into, after Cambridge, I went into consulting, worked for companies like eBay, finished my MBA at INSEAD, for example. I'd spent my summers, though, in India. And I think um, that 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 transformative experience really shaped me. It made me really aware of some of the the global challenges our world was facing. And I think it was a very strong desire me to want to contribute as a leader. So after about 12 years in the corporate world, I spent a 15-year stint as a social entrepreneur, um, first in founding a group called Teaching Leaders, which is all about school leadership in the UK. And that got scaled by the UK government, got taken uh, to the US, to several cities there. Um, and the last 10 years uh, were then spent on STIR education, which is all about, as you said, you know, reigniting the, the intrinsic motivation of teachers and in emerging countries like India, Brazil, um, East Africa, etc., I think I'd, I'd spent 15 years in the ring as a CEO and founder. I realized how tough the ring was and how difficult it is to box, especially in the social sector. And I had the choice, I guess, of um, continuing to box in the ring or stepping out of the ring and helping leaders in the ring box better. And I think it was a very conscious, it was a real, probably my biggest inflection moment for me personally in my leadership career. And I felt actually stepping out of the ring made so much more sense. I didn't want to put all my eggs in one basket. I was very proud of the legacy that I left, but you know, many things I could have done better as a leader as well. And so how could I devote this next chapter to helping other leaders, A, stay in the ring, because that's not an easy thing nowadays, but also when they're in the ring to box as, as well as they can and achieve the impact they and their teams and organizations deserve. And I'm just loving the chance to work with such interesting, committed, dynamic leaders. I learn so much from them uh, each day. Uh, and it's a different kind of pace. I have more time to think, more time to support and try to slow things down so they really can navigate those moments well. I love that. I'm being a CEO, you're in the ring, you're boxing, stepping out of the ring and helping boxers who stay in the ring <laughs> box better. Tell me, before you run off, key takeaway, what's that one thing you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? I think if you're, you know, if you are a leader or involved in leadership in any way in the social sector, uh, most of your audience I know are uh, about it. So, this question of, you know, the, well, it's inside that not all leadership time is created equal. Are you at an inflection moment? Is this really a moment to think about what the next mountain is to climb? If it is, you know, what's the team that you um, you really want to be and build to achieve that next mountain to climb it? What's the the culture you create that will help everyone stay resilient and motivated on that course and finally how will you keep learning and evolving your approach as you go 
uh, towards achieving that, that that new direction. Those are the questions that are really, really worth thinking about. They feel hard. They feel they are hard. Um, but they're so worth it because if we can navigate those moments you know, well, we'll, we'll future-proof success for ourselves, but also our organizations and most importantly our communities and, 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 um, and clients you know, for so long to come. So, yeah, just really, really taking those moments seriously, recognize them for what they are, and really helping to navigate through them. Yeah, it's probably what I hope would be the key takeaway. Well, Sharath, you're you're leaving us with a lot of food for thought, which is a nice way to conclude today's episode. Thank you so very much for joining me and joining us back on the Do One Better podcast today. Absolute pleasure uh, seeing you today. Always is. Always great conversations with you. Uh, so thanks for taking the time. Thanks for sharing the insight. And I wish you uh, resounding success with your upcoming book, Inflection, in January 2024. And if we're not in touch before then, all the very best for the holidays and the new year. Thanks so much, about and you too. Perfect, and that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to a great chat with Sharath Jeevan, author of the upcoming book, Inflection, due out in January 2024. For information about this conversation and more than 200 other interviews and case studies with remarkable thought leaders in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already, and do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thoroughly enjoy producing today's episode, and I'll catch you this coming Monday.